As the music industry changes, there are going to be several artists that are at the front leading the way. And one of these artists that I recommend you keep your eye on is Taylor Swift. All right, so you're a music artist with plans to take over the world, huh? Yeah, duh. That's why I'm here. Well, you've come to the right place. Let's go! Welcome to the I Am Northbound Podcast. Podcast. Your guide to dominating the new music industry. So normally I do one or two articles. I mean, what am I saying? I normally just do one article. Uh, But today I've actually got like three to go through. And all of them are on, (laughs) you guessed it, Taylor Swift. I mean, it's interesting when I tell music artists that they should be paying attention to Taylor Swift. It doesn't matter what genre you're in. Pay attention to what she's doing. Because she's doing some big things for the music industry. And she's doing a lot of uh, testing on a big scale for you. So if you want to see how to get new fans or how to make, you know, keep your name out there, you know, to stand out amongst the crowds of music artists that are trying to be heard. If you want to know how to do it right, don't just guess and try to like, you know, just try to hopefully get it right by stumbling across the answer. Look to the people that are leading the way. As I've recommended this, recommended, I've recalled this quote, sorry, a million times uh, by uh, Isaac Newton that said, if I've seen further than my... uh, people before me or whatever, I stood on the shoulders of giants. He said it way better than I do. I have a tendency to butcher quotes, but it's that same thing. You don't ever, uh, you should never expect yourself to try to find a way to find the answer yourself. Look to the people who are doing it right and emulate that. I think it was Tony Robbins that said, if you want to find success, emulate it off someone who's already found it again. You probably know by now that I butcher quotes, but it's something along those lines. At least I get the general point across. Am I right? You can't answer that because this is a one-way conversation. But anyway, so we're talking about Taylor Swift today. She's doing things really, really well for the music industry. She's making like big impact and she's doing a lot of it. I don't know. I I don't know enough about her to know if it's all her ideas or if she just has a really, really, really good marketing team behind her. But either way, everything coming out of her camp is really, really important for the industry and something you should be paying attention to. So we're going to be talking about three separate things today that she's done that you should be paying attention to as well. Now, the first lesson that she taught us is to not fight the new music industry. This wasn't exactly an overall success, but then again, it depends on how you look at it. Did she get the desired outcome she wanted? No. But did she get another outcome that was desired? Yes. So Taylor Swift, uh, many years ago now, um, I don't know if you're maybe aware of it, might not be, but she stood up against the online digital streaming services and said that she didn't want to put her albums on um, on the streaming services because she felt that you should pay for the music you get. Now, it says here uh, that in July 2014, she said, music is art and art is important and rare. Important, rare things are valuable. Valuable things should be paid for. It's my opinion that music should not be free and my prediction is that individual artists and their labels will someday decide what an album's price point is. I completely I get the sentiment and I understand where she's coming from and I love standing up for what you believe to be the right thing for music and restoring a va- restoring value to the music but I have a chapter about this in my book that's coming out the four dimensional songwriter about not fighting the new music industry and the reason you can't fight it is because it will never go the way you want it to uh back in like was it like the late 90s, early 2000s, I can't remember the exact date, but Metallica took Napster to court and it was the first highly publicized uh, instance of an artist suing a P2P sharing company. And Metallica were trying to claim, I think like $100,000 in damages, which is about $100,000. What am I talking about? 
No, what am I even saying? It was way more than that. I can't even remember the numbers. It's in my book. When that comes out, you can read it. I did all the research then. I just can't remember the exact numbers. But they sued for quite a bit. And it worked out to be, that's it, $100,000 per song that was downloaded, right? And Metallica actually won that court case. Now, you think, well, it's great. They got what they wanted, right? But the backlash from their fans, like people that were once committed Metallica fans, were now in the streets smashing their records, burning their CDs, burning their T-shirts in like dumpster fires and saying like, I will never, ever listen to Metallica ever again. So that's a pretty peculiar and strange circumstance, right? When you think about it, wouldn't you think that these, I mean, Metallica weren't in the wrong. They were just trying to get what they felt was owed to them because music had value. So people were stealing it and piracy is stealing. So people were taking it and stealing it without paying for it. So they were just getting the money back. But it goes to show that everyone being general consumers and speaking on behalf of all of the general public, seem to think that music should be like able to be obtained for free at their own discretion. It's never, it's not been a, a new thing. Piracy isn't the only reason that uh, we've learned this. I mean, the digital streaming services exist for that very reason because people, you know, discovered piracy and they said, I want my music now and I want it you know, to be here quickly without paying for it. And streaming services came along and said, well, we can provide it to you faster than piracy. And that's why everyone, you know, shifted from piracy to, to listening on a streaming service. But then again, I mean, a lot of people don't have a problem with paying the subscription fee behind a Spotify subscription or Apple Music or, you know, Google Play Music, if people are using that. They don't usually have a problem with that, but only one third, I think, of people are actually paying for their subscription. So it goes to show the majority of people really want their music for free. Now, as I said, it wasn't piracy that brought this in. Okay. Piracy didn't do this from the absolute beginning. Uh, it wasn't because of uh, digital piracy, that is, that people decided they wanted for free. It was way before that. Before that, it was, you know, listening to the radio and taping on a cassette tape when your song came on so you could listen to it whenever you wanted. People weren't thinking, oh, you know, I feel a bit guilty about, you know, taping songs off the radio. They wanted their music and they wanted it for free. Ever since they've been able to capture it, they've tried to because they feel for some reason that music isn't something that you should have to pay for. Now, if you try to fight against the music industry and say that it should be paid for, you're just going to, it's never going to work to your favor because people are going to find ways to copy cassette tapes back in the day or burn CDs in the early 2000s. And now, you know, They'll go to streaming services. Now, Taylor Swift took all her music off streaming services and said that music should be paid for, but it was only a few years later that she actually uh, came back out and said that, you know, everything is back on. Um, it was 2015. She said that Tidal is fine because Tidal was $19.99 per month. And then uh, she stood up in 2015 in June, so, uh, in June 2015, sorry, and said that Apple Music's free trial is shocking and disappointing because it was three months worth of a free service where they didn't pay royalties to the artists that the users would listen to within that three months. So she stood up against that, um, did some good for the industry there. And then it was in 2015 uh, that she said streaming felt right. And, uh, you know, and then from that, and then April 2016, she was actually in an ad for Apple Music, which is kind of crazy. So, it goes to show she sorted it all out and her albums are are up on uh, are up on streaming services now. So, yeah. So, it's kind of like, sorry, it's like Taylor Swift showed us in that instance to not fight the new music industry. That wasn't something that worked to her, worked to her favor, but it definitely, you know, showed all the smaller artists, if you choose to not play by the rules that the new music industry has set, your fans and followers are actually just going to find another artist that is following the rules, okay? If Taylor Swift took her stuff off Spotify, 
people will go, you know what? I feel like listening to Taylor Swift. Oh, it's not on Spotify. Okay. Who else do I feel like listening to then? They're not going to actively search down and then find out they have to buy the album and be like, okay, I'll buy it. I just want to listen to it that badly because the market's oversaturated. Everyone's writing music these days and it's becoming a very uh, competitive space. Everyone is bringing music out and it's not like back in the day that, I mean, if Elvis decided to not support a platform back in the, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago now, um, you know, people would have gone anywhere to listen to Elvis because there wasn't as anywhere near as many artists as there are today. But we live in an industry now where anyone can become a music artist. I could tell someone, hey, have you ever written a song before? And they're like, no. And then I could help them write a song and they could put it online that day. Like, it's crazy. Another music artist in the world. So, it's like, it's so easy for anyone to write songs. So, don't fight the new music industry. Keep your stuff on streaming services and play it by the rules because even on Taylor Swift's level, it won't work to your favor, okay? So, that's the first lesson she taught us. Don't fight the new music industry, okay? Keep it the way it's meant to be. Secondly, a really, really cool thing she did. Now, these are the ones that actually worked within her favor. The last two worked with uh, work to her favor, sorry. And the last one in particular is something that I think is the best thing ever that you should be ever doing. So make sure you stay tuned for that. This one, uh, that has more to do with branding. And this one here, we've got to talk about the second one is actually to do with live shows. So Taylor Swift actually, uh, changed the way that, um, she sold her tickets and it ended up putting a ton of money back into her live performances, like made way more money on a tour because she decided to uh, stand up against scalpers. Okay. Now, now that sounds kind of crazy, but think about it. If you, if you were like on her level and you were selling out stadiums and you raised your ticket price by like a dollar, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of the tour that you're putting into the tour just by a $1 increase, right? So, Profit margins and even just like pricing ranges and just where you position yourself really matters, okay? So, uh, inside, uh, specifically with these Taylor Swift tours, uh, they're talking about Ontario inside this article, but there were a lot of scalpers that were actually... Um, uh, you know, would buy the tickets and then upsell them as everyone knows how scalpers work, right? They, they get in early, they get the tickets and sell them more expensively. So Taylor Swift, more or less, I don't want to go too far deep into this article or it could be a whole episode by itself, you know, and I don't want this episode to run for forever. Uh, but I'll tell you now that Taylor Swift took, uh, her, looked at the way she was selling out her shows, looked at the way her audiences were paying for things and like were really trying to uh, understand how they were spending their money. And she came up with this principle that said uh, that if your shows aren't, uh, aren't, so if your shows are selling out, then you're, then you're pricing yourself too cheaply. Obviously there's more money to be made if you don't uh, if, if, if you're, if you, there's more money to be made if you're selling out your concerts, obviously. So that's what I was trying to say again, butchering the quotes. Uh, it wasn't even a quote. I was trying to recall something. Jeez, I'd like my brain to work. Uh, so saying that if, if you're putting on shows and you're, all of your tickets are going, uh, and people have, people have no problem, people have no problem paying that amount, right? So, so therefore, if you increase your prices, you can make way more money. So yeah, wait, make way more money, but you don't have to sell as many tickets, right? So even though you might, um, even though you might not have as many people at the show, you'll make more money from doing that. So more or less, she uh, stepped in and increased her ticket prices and did a bit with the music marketing behind that and actually made it so the uh, the scalpers couldn't actually um, capitalize on her ticket prices anymore. She sold a whole bunch more and ended up uh, putting in like millions of dollars into her toil because of that. So 
I'm not going to dive into that one too deeply because, as I said, that could be a whole other episode on its uh, by itself. But that's just like the basic overview. Just remember that point that if you're selling out your shows, your ticket prices are too cheap. So raise your prices until you stop selling out your shows. Obviously, you want to find that middle ground where you're not, you know, you're not selling out your shows but not making as much money as you could. And also, the other side of the coin would be half the amount of people at your shows and the prices are too expensive. And then you've got people complaining about how expensive it is to see. So, try to find that sweet spot where you're just close to selling out because then people aren't that annoyed about paying for it. But you know for sure that you couldn't have made any more money on that tour. Okay. So, it's the second lesson from Taylor Swift. Now, the big one, number three why you should be paying attention to her. Just recently, those two things, you know, happened a year ago and the first one happened years ago, right? Uh, but this new one is actually, uh, this article is from April 13th. So it wasn't that long ago now. So Taylor Swift has taken to her Instagram. If you go over there right now, you'll see exactly what she has done. She has made it cryptic again. She's come out and completely rebranded her Instagram. Now, in my book, again, I'm shamelessly plugging something that isn't even out yet, but I mean, maybe by the time you hear this, if you're listening in the future, it'll be out. If not, tell me you want a copy and I'll put a, I want a side for you. I'm, I'll tell you on the podcast when it's out, but there's a chapter in there about creating a core brand direction and why it is important that you stick to it. Now, a core brand direction means not posting random photos here and there. You want your branding, your images, your videos, everything visual, okay? Anything you bring out, gifts stories. It doesn't matter. Whatever you make, visual-based content, video, picture, uh, animated stuff, like it doesn't matter. Drawings, illustrations, like anything you bring out that your viewers can see or your, sorry, your audience can see with their eyes needs to reflect the same core brand direction, which is the one message. Now, what is that message? It's the visual representation of how you want uh, a visual representation of your music. So your core brand direction needs to affect your listener and make them feel the same way that your music is going to make them feel. The reason we do that is because we don't live in a world where you you get to uh, you don't get opportunities to show people your music. People are trying. If you're trying to message people that you don't know and say, "Hey, listen to my latest song." Forget about it. Stop doing it. It's damaging your music career. It's not going to do you any favors in the long run. Okay, stop doing that. Instead, people are opening up Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, whatever, to look at visual content. If people are opening SoundCloud, if that was one of the biggest apps in the world, SoundCloud, I mean, it's big, but it's nowhere near the biggest. If it was the biggest, you would have no problem getting your music heard because you could just put your music in front of the eyes of people that are looking to listen to music. But instead, we've got people opening Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat doesn't matter. They're not opening, you know, those apps to find um, new music, right? They're opening it because they're looking for visual-based content. So, as I say, you've got to wrap your music up in a package that suits what people are looking for. So, when they open it, they find your music within it. It doesn't mean forcing your music down their throats. Now, the way you do that is through a solid core brand direction. It's a the perfect way to pre-frame your listeners. And that's what is so important. Now, in marketing, you might have heard the term pre-framing before. You might not. If you haven't, it's not as foreign of a concept as you may think it is. Pre-framing is super common. Like, you watch an advertisement on television and they'll show Burger King as the two beef patties fall down and hit the, uh, so hit, so hit the, so hit the grill and bounce and like water goes everywhere on the lettuce and like, you know, the cheese looks melty on top of the burger, whatever. And they put it on a bun. You're so accustomed to those ads that you just take them for granted now and think like, oh, you know, it's just another burger ad. But they're designed to make you think that a burger is delicious before you've even eaten one. Okay, you don't even like know what it tastes like yet. So the ad, you know, 
if think of it this way, right? Trying to advertise your music on Instagram is like a television trying to advertise a burger, assuming that uh, people can somehow reach in their TV and just grab one and eat it. Obviously, people can't reach in their TV and grab the burger. They are looking at a screen for a visual-based thing. So what do they do? They communicate the burger through visual-based content. They wrap that burger up in a package that suits what people are looking for, just as you should be doing for your music. Does that make sense? So these advertisements are going to be showing you. Um, uh, it's making you feel a certain way before you've even interacted with a certain product. Uh, another really big one is perfumes and cologne because they're going to make you think that something smells amazing and will give you this status increase and you will feel like a better person uh, before you've even smelt it. Or buying a BMW is going to make you feel more expensive as a person and want to drive around and feel better. And it's going to like, why get from A to B when you can drive in a BMW? And like, you know what I mean? Like they pre-frame you with so much more. Now, McDonald's could put a burger up on the screen and put no advertising behind it at all and just say, um, come to McDonald's and eat this burger, please. You know, like, and what good is that going to do? Like, what is, how are people going to enjoy that? Like, I, I mean, no one's going to think that burger's delicious. Secondly, a BMW could just put a BMW on the screen and say, it drives pretty good, I guess. And you're like, cool, but why would you want one? A perfume could just say, hey, this smells nice. And you're like, how do I know? You know what I mean? So they have to build these lifestyles and like extravagance and uh, impressiveness behind it. And the burger has to look delicious before you've even tasted it because that's the power of pre-framing. Okay. So you've got to pre-frame people about your music. Now I talk about this very extensively in my book, but just an overview here. Pre-framing is not just there to increase perceived quality. So it's not just to make you... Uh, convince your listeners that your burger is delicious, so to speak. Preframing isn't the only way that you can use that. I mean, Taylor Swift did use that. I was about to say she's also done that as well. If you scroll back through her Instagram feed, you'll see a ton. And I can count it here. What's that? 6, 12, 18 uh, different pitches that she put up. Uh, nine of them. No, there's more than that. Wow. There is 18. But anyway, 12 of them in a row, then six other pitches, then six more. Uh, reviews of her album reputation they all align with her, her core brand direction so they all align with her core brand direction all align with her core brand direction so they have the same graphics around the side uh you know the same font the same setup or whatever and every single text post which are super easy to get your message to cut through in today's industry like us you should be using text posts every single day uh but it's little quotes and stuff from you know, well-known reviewers like, uh, you know, The Times, I'm reading a few here, NME, Billboard, Associated Press, uh, big companies like this, Rolling Stone, LA Times, The Guardian, The Telegraph, uh, Hits, there's just like so many here, USA Today, Metro, New York Times, uh, so many big publications that are uh, what they've said about the album. Now, this is all designed to make you think that her album sounds amazing before you've even heard it. Because if you go in with a positive mindset, uh, mindset, sorry, that's where you're going to be enjoy it the most and listen to it more and tell your friends about it. it. It's to pump you up. That's why people, before they go on stage, get someone to introduce them and be like, ladies and gentlemen, introducing the four-time Grammy winner, blah, blah, blah. Because it makes the audience already pre-framed positively before the person comes out. You can also negatively pre-frame someone by saying something, um, you know, negative or, um, you know, I don't even know what, draining or just... Uh, 
even like patronizing or belittling sorry about them before someone talks to them and you'll have negatively preframed them even if what you said wasn't true like if if someone was walking over toward you and i and i said to you oh this guy's uh he's such a jerk man he's so full of himself whatever and the person introduces themselves and they're actually really nice and they speak to you really nicely you'll still think that they're a jerk you'll just think they're being sarcastic and that they're really like you know what i mean because you've been preframed by what i said I would never say that because that's awful, but people have done that in the past and, you know, pre-framing working on a social um, level, I guess. But anyway, Taylor Swift used it to uh, increase level of perceived or the perception of quality for, um, so yeah, so she's, uh, did that on her Instagram by flooding it with all these reviews saying things like the, uh, her album is pure pop magic. Uh, you know, her talent remains intact on reputation around her most focused and most cohesive album yet in our superb songcraft meets extreme drama, like all these really cool words that make people want to listen to it. That's how she stood out was by positively preframing her audience. But as I said, it doesn't have to just be for increasing that perception of quality. Uh, she's actually done it through um, visual, visual, visualization sorry, as well. So if you scroll right to the bottom, when she rebranded for reputation and got rid of the old Taylor, she kind of did that on, on a literal sense, I'm sorry, on her Instagram at least. She deleted all of her old posts. The very first post you'll find on there was from, let me find right now, from August 22nd, 2017. Uh, and on that day, uh, actually, she, oh, there you go, she released one every single day. So she's the king of cryptic. King, she's the queen. Sorry, of cryptingness, cryptingness. Um, so I've just found out here. I didn't even realize this till I opened it up. She released the tail of a snake in in like a video image that's kind of like glitching and flickering and stuff and moving a bit. So on August twenty second, two thousand and seventeen. So obviously people are going to go, what on earth is that? Now the next day she released on the twenty third the body of a snake glitching and moving. So again, keeping with that branding and that presence, showing you. Um, that it's Taylor Swift again and she's revealing a little bit more so to generate hype and then uh, on August 24th which is the last day it's a shot of a snake uh, you see that it's the head of a snake it turns and it strikes at the camera um, which yeah it's really cool actually um, so straight away what does that tell you it's glitchy it's erratic it's a snake striking at a camera it tells people that Taylor Swift is different she's fierce she's more unpredictable you know what I mean like she's more I don't want to say erratic because that's not true but just more the old Taylor is gone or whatever she said in that album I don't know much about her music but then on uh, the same day the 24th on the day that she got everyone with the reveal that it was a snake's head just a black background image with the simple text in white writing on the front that says in the center sorry that says uh, first single out tomorrow night so that was the way she announced her new music and that is a great way to develop hype and people i mean anyone who looked at looks at any sorry anyone who looks at that could say oh yeah that's a great way to develop hype like releasing something every day to build up to a release cool but look what she's doing look at the the pre-framing she's putting into people's minds if she just released reputation people would probably be pre-framed so her, lis- her listeners her listeners sorry, would, be, would be pre-framed off her earlier releases which are going to um Make them feel like she's the queen of pop and, you know, that kind of thing. And that she's like the doing the pop sound and everything's going well for, for Taylor Swift. I realized by saying queen of pop that, what about Beyonce? I feel like she would take that crown, right? But anyway, so I'm just saying, instead of being really good at pop music, uh, people might be listening to her new album thinking it's an extension of that pop sound that she's been doing. But no, she wanted to redo everyone's thoughts on her. And the best way to communicate with any human being is visual based 
uh, content, visual-based media, uh, visual imagery, right? Because we are visual creatures. That's how it works. We see things before we hear them, okay? It, it, visual is far more important than audio, as much as that sucks to hear as a music artist. But use it to your advantage and combine the two and big things will happen. So, you, she used that to completely shape people's opinions of her music before they had even heard it. People were thinking, wow, this is going to be fierce. It's going to be like different. I can't wait to hear this new Taylor Swift. This is worth my time, right? And then all of a sudden, a few... uh Few album, uh, so a few, uh, so Instagram posts later. So she says, "Reputation's out now," and then, bam! All the positive reviews. Like, if you haven't heard it yet, what are you doing? Because listen, how much everyone is loving it. So brings people in. Now, I wouldn't recommend flooding your feed like that, but I think it's really cool that she did that. I have like all the respect in the world for her for doing that and her marketing team. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't recommend a smaller artist do that, but still, it's a very, very cool thing. But anyway, she did that in the past and obviously worked for it because she's doing it again. As I said, this method works. You should definitely be using it to your advantage. Go to Taylor Swift on Instagram and look at her new uh, posts and you will see a clear change in her visual style. She's found a new core brand uh, direction, which is something I recommend you do every album if it changes sounds or you want to change people's visual imagery because of that. And it's very different. You see a clear cut. Her visual style goes to this really dreamy pastel pink and blue and light, light, light leaks, uh, light, likes, uh, light leaks, sorry, everywhere. Light leaks everywhere, sorry, and like pinks and blues and like close-up shots and very glamorous, but diamonds and, you know, different things like that. It's very, a very, like, uh, what's the word? Uh, cohesive color palette. And I think it's very, very cool that she's doing this, but it's, it's how she's teasing her new music. Obviously, she wants people to know that her new sound isn't to be interpreted as fierce and whatever reputation built, like glitchy snakes striking at the camera. Like, that's not what she's about for this album. So she's trying to redirect everyone's uh, minds or brains or like imaginations to align on the same level. Now, I talk about this all through my book and it's super, super important that you do it as well. Super important, okay? Because the idea is if you don't uh, do this, you're essentially going to be creating content that will only resonate with a few people here and there. And thanks to algorithms, not everyone's going to see your content anyway. So the chances chances are, if you're not, so chances are, if you're not prov- like getting everyone on the same page with the, with the core brand direction, you're actually going to be, uh, you could be creating content that goes nowhere. Okay, it goes nowhere at all and uh, no one sees it ever and it just doesn't ever get to the right people. But if you can build a core brand direction to get everyone on the same page so that now when people listen to Taylor Swift's new music, they're going to imagine these pinks and blues and dreaminess and, 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 and like take it in like that, right? They're going to say they're going to listen to it like that. That's, that's the best way to say it. They're going to hear it that way. So they're going to like, um, it's going to take them all to a similar imaginary place when they listen to the music. And that means that every new piece of content she brings out is going to resonate equally with everyone that's doing it. Uh, sorry, with everyone that's seeing it. Does that make sense? Instead of trying to create content for everyone and trying to guess what they think of when they listen to your music or however they're interpreting it, if you get everyone on the same page with your music, then you can move everyone forward toward becoming a true fan together by creating content that's resonating with most of your audience. Now, it's not mind control. Some people will think of different things when they listen to your music, but if you stay cohesive to your branding, they'll recognize that. And that will mean that people will be able to move closer toward becoming a true fan of yours without having to listen to your music. A single Instagram picture or a little video you make or a flyer you release or a poster, it doesn't matter, all the visual stuff you could release, if you stay true to your branding and become recognizable instantly, 
people can find out who you are without even thinking. Instantly recognizable. Instantly recognizable branding. If you have instantly recognizable branding, people will be able to uh, understand who you are and then immediately jump straight toward, uh, you know, take another step forward to becoming a true fan of yours because they will recognize your um, content and be able to, uh, you know, associate it with being you and who you are and you know it will move them like your music will and it will also help them when they listen to your music to find common ground and uh, work forward on that so this is why you should be listening to taylor swift i mean that's just a few reasons today is why she's great i could have really broken them down into like three episodes by themselves i kind of just wanted to talk about her so i kind of threw things all over the place but finding a core brand direction is incredibly important go to her page right now so you can see how important it should be for you uh, and you can see how it's working for someone like her now obviously these music artists at the top, they may look like they're just effortlessly dominating the new music industry, and they may be in some regards, but they've still got to fight their way to be heard. I mean, you've got Taylor Swift trying to get people to listen to her music when there's, you know, the Drakes, uh, you know, the Beyonce's of the world are out there. You know, the the new, that one about that kid riding, you know, a, a horse with Billy Ray Cyrus that just went viral. I mean, I'm going to do an episode on that because he's embracing meme culture to stay relevant, and that's super important too, and that's maybe something you could do as well. But anyway... Keep that on your mind. Go and follow Taylor Swift. Doesn't matter what genre you are. You could be in a Swedish death metal band, or you could be in a like you could be a world artist from the other like another corner of the world altogether. But Taylor Swift should be who you're looking at because she's doing big things and she's making testing a lot of things, and she'll show you what's going to work for you. Anyway, have a great week, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon.